This episode of the Best Seeds Podcast is presented by LA Wine Fest. For tickets and information, go to LAWineFest.com. This episode of the Best Seeds Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode 117 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast that brings you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. As always, I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. Thank you to my friend, Allie Coyle. She provides music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show and you're listening to it on free feeds, please consider leaving a rating and or a review, sharing it on social, etc. It helps push it into the algorithm and helps new folks to discover it. You can go to TheBestSeats.com for more content just like this, but do not forget that the very best experience for listening is only found over on patreon.com forward slash the best seats where so many of you support this show each and every month with your subscriptions and i am so grateful for it that's where you get early ad free listening to shows exclusive access to the bonus episodes and more content um episode 117 is a very exciting one because we're talking about a new business now granted at the time of this recording the business is not yet open but it's one that i'm very excited about now, a new business coming along, especially in the world of restaurants, bars, hotels, etc., is nothing new, right? There's always businesses opening. Sadly, that also means that there's businesses closing, etc., but such is kind of the cycle of life and hospitality. Now, most of the time when you think about a new business, you, oh, maybe you pass by, maybe it's in a strip mall, okay, maybe it's a smaller building, something like that, right? You see the, you know, the, the sign on the outside window, getting ready to sell alcohol, things like that, oh, coming soon. Well, my guest for this one is different. My guests, plural, I should say, because I'm sitting down with Jeremy Webb as well as multiple people from the very soon-to-come Webb's Grainworks, the distillery and brewery coming to Elise Oviejo, hopefully by the end of summer. They're still in construction. We recorded this uh, in their back office, got a tour of the facility myself. But Webb's is, <laughs> when I say brewery and distillery, first of all, it's awesome to have both those things together. But what Jeremy and his team are doing is massive. And I don't just mean in terms of sheer square footage, even though there is a lot of it, because this building in Aliso, if you drive by it, is humongous. And that's an understatement. I mean, they are really, really not just starting out small, not just going to do a beer or, you know, a vodka. They are really taking the time to process to dive into this thing wholeheartedly, full-on production facility, everything in-house, open-air fermentation, plus a restaurant on hand, plus a bottle shop on hand. I mean, this is a massive undertaking. Now, if you haven't heard of them before, that's okay because they're very new to the scene. This is actually going to be their very first endeavor. Jeremy himself has experience with whiskey distilling and the educational process. A lot of his team, as you'll hear, has experience in hospitality marketing as well as brewing, etc., 
And they're just going no holes barred with this thing. It is an incredibly exciting project. I'm incredibly grateful for them for taking the time. Again, most of the time, if there's a new business that pops up on this podcast, it's, you know, take Hammerburger recently, just about an episode or two ago. They recorded just about a week before they opened. The episode released after they opened. This is many months in advance that I'm getting the team to sit down, and I'm very excited for that. And I don't want to waste any more time because, everybody, this is a big one. So strap in, settle in, get comfortable. Don't forget that extra bonus episode with these guys is only available on Patreon, but you need to get ready because we have the team from Webb's Grainworks of the very soon to come. Fingers crossed, distillery and brewery through Elisa Viejo, Jeremy Webb, and the rest of his team. I hope you enjoy. Gentlemen, thank you all for sitting down to come on the show. Very excited to have you on. Um, this is a project that selfishly I've been paying a lot of attention to ever since I discovered it. For anybody who knows me and has listened to the show, knows where I stand as far as my passion for spirits and brewing and kind of that entire lifestyle and process. And you guys are doing all those things and more. But before we unpack all of that and learn more about this massive, massive project, I want to go around the table with all three of my guests and have you guys introduce yourselves and give a little of your background. Jeremy, why don't we start with you? Hello. Thank you for having us. Um, my name is Jeremy Webb. Uh, I am the uh, proprietor and head distiller. Um, and this little ditty here is kind of my brainchild and, and kind of life's dream. Um, one that started... Uh, when my father was still alive, um, father was from West Virginia, and uh, he and I um, always shared the love for distilling. Um, any kind of blue-blooded West Virginian distills as a hobby. It's it's kind of in our blood. I always said literally alcohol runs in my blood. <laughs> um, maybe a little more these days than in the past, but... It's R&D. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so dad and I always messed around with, with still and, uh, with the process and, um, with, I had a background in culinary and cooking and the idea of kind of just being able to do everything in house coalesced into kind of the behemoth that you have come here to witness today. The appropriately named Webb's Grainworks. Yes. Mark. Mark Levine, uh, Chief Marketing Officer, is my official title. We always kind of joke around about titles here because we kind of do everything, all of us. Um, my background's in the hotel and restaurant business, um, as well as marketing, advertising, uh, and design. Oh, Jeremy's fixing something there. Oh, we got a headphone flip. There we go. There we go. Um, so, my, you know, my focus here is on brand strategy, um, as well as the, the front of house we call the front of house at this place, the, the restaurant, the back of the house, kind of the production, you know, typical restaurants, back of the house would be kitchen. We kind of use those terms kind of uniquely here. Um, so yeah, those are my focuses. Um, and uh, I met Jeremy through uh, our parents. My dad was Jeremy's uh, dad's doctor. Um, we, we started talking about six years ago, talking about doing a restaurant concept and and um and then he came to me he's all what about a distillery what about a brewery what about a restaurant i said that sounds amazing let's go so here i am that's awesome hey my, uh, i'm silvio barahona um i've been a commercial brewer uh for the last about eight years uh mostly in los angeles county um mostly small uh to mid-sized 
brew pubs and um, and some production uh, brewing as well. Uh, we have we have a lot of ideas for for webs as far as uh, brew brew styles and um, those concepts. Uh, being in California, it's a lot of uh, hoppy beers is kind of the uh, the main attack a lot of times. But we also want to I uh, do a lot of lighter uh, traditional styles like. Um, lager and and uh, german pilsners and stuff like that so we're gonna you know do do our best to meet that full spectrum of styles i, mean, I should mention right out the gate that webs is not currently open you guys were nice enough to kind of do this show kind of ahead of it and i'm very glad that you did number one because again i wanted to selfishly learn more about it but number two having gone through a quick tour of the facility right before we sat down and kind of got everything you know hooked up and, and ready to record you guys were kind enough to give me a tour of the facility still on construction at least at the time of this recording set to open hopefully summertime end of summertime within that window kind of fingers crossed knock on wood whatever you want to do there was a lot going on here i mean everything that we just talked about whenever somebody starts a project generally it's hey we want to do a distillery maybe we'll add food later hey we want to do a brewery maybe we'll do you know food later and maybe we'll do one of those brewing or distilling and maybe we'll look into it later I mean, you guys have a very large facility here. I mean, first and foremost, how many thousand square feet? The total building is 21,000 square feet. Okay. That's a lot of square footage. And as we said before, you guys are currently doing distilling in-house, brewing in-house, and a restaurant where people are able to come, and a small bottle shop where you guys will inevitably be selling all the things that you're making here. What was the idea? I mean, what basically prompted you guys not to be like, hey, let's do one of these things and see how it goes, but to just kind of say, fuck it, let's do it all. Not to mention we're making all of our own bread for the restaurant. So Yeah, yeah. how dare I overlook the bakery. Right. Yeah. So um, I think that's it. In a, we, um, we don't half-ass shit. Um, and the idea, again, to do everything in-house, um, to us, really kind of meant everything. Um the the distilling side um for me uh theoretically you go through the process of making beer in the process of making whiskey anyway yeah so i was like well you know we're already making beer um not to mention people that are going to come here are going to potentially want to want to drink beer yeah um, not everybody's a whiskey drinker. Not everyone's a vodka drinker. Maybe sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Or maybe even just not spirits in general or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. So we wanted to be able to cater to all markets um, in-house, in on-premise, and off-premise as well, seeing that there's um, still a lot of market share available in, um, in beer production, um, seltzer production. Um, uh, it kind of, um, depending on how we do it, uh, we have the ability to do it both ways. We have a, a ability to do a vodka based or a malt based, which would either fall in the heading of the distillery or the brewery. Mm -hmm. um, so being able to just kind of keep all of our options open and be able to kind of really full send do it all was the kind of facility that we wanted to build from the beginning. Grain works in the name literally kind of covers all of those headings, the, the, the brewing, the distilling, the bread manufacturing and baking, all of those things um, are grain-based and kind of speak to the fact that that uh, we're working with the grain here to from literally from grain to, to bottle or grain to can. 
or grain to sandwich plate yeah. as, as the case may be. So, well, before we kind of talk about the uh, kind of putting all those efforts together, because I'm curious to hear Mark's standpoint of how branding goes when you're not just talking about one thing, but you're talking about all those things and having to translate that, not just to a customer who's coming in to eat, but also to eventually sales and to eventually distribution and things from that standpoint. I want to talk to you guys and talk about what is the relationship between you guys like with distiller and brewer? Because those do, again, they are a little simpatico. They are, they do work together, but is there, have you guys had any conversations where it's like, Hey, I think I want to do this. Ooh, well, I kind of want to think about doing this. You know, how does that relationship go? And how does it go when you're building out a space that, I mean, the entire building at this time is bespoke. I mean, you guys are building this thing, basically getting to kind of set up like a, a playground. Yeah. Well, we, we obviously have talked about um, sharing repurposed barrels, um, which is a very cool thing. I love barrel aging beer and to have our own um, spirit barrels to use is amazing. Um, other than that, um, we've kind of, uh, what, what seems to be a trend I've seen is the, the single malt whiskey or the, um, you know, the single origin single grain whiskey, right? Is like, mm -hmm. a, um, kind of a, a trend in doing something like that where we're maybe using the brew house to, uh, to produce, um, a, a whiskey rather than, um, the, the original still and or the the cooker, um, and where we're running off of uh, a, a mash lauder ton, uh, like the Scottish and the Japanese do, rather than the American bourbon um, method. Right, there's but, a lot of cool opportunity for collaboration in that yeah. alone. Just in you know my plan for the barrels that we're gonna fill is I'm planning on making bourbon in a true American style, so we're gonna stay on the grain throughout the process. Um, but if we did want to do a more traditional single malt um, or something that was loudered where we took took the grain out of the process, then then that's a, a great opportunity for Silvio and I to be able to cross collaborate and um, and dual use the equipment. I think one of the things and again, we're not fully up and running, so we're not him and I aren't bumping elbows yet on the production floor. And we're, there's still a lot to learn there about um, who's using what at what period I, I think that we've scaled it in a way that I don't really foresee any any problems yeah but what I have noticed and and what kind of has throughout this process has been very very clear is the kind of um, mentality of brewing versus distilling brewers are a very fastidious very clean very kind of like um, overly precise guys about everything because very easily things can go wrong and, and sour your whole batch. And we're on the distilling side, it's a much less so because everything's going through the still. So cleanliness, uh, and not to make it sound like a dirty process, but the truth of the matter is, you know, back in the old days, these big fermenters would put off such a huge CO2 cloud that birds would die, rats would die, the distiller would come in in the morning and peel dead animals off the top of his fermenter yeah. with no problem because it's all getting distilled anyway i have some recipes for whiskey that have moose poop in them as a as a converter <laughs> uh i have some old tequila recipes that have a, a whole rabbit in the fermenter so uh, on the brewing side i mean that's like he's like what when we walked in and saw that i have the, my open fermenters that was one of the very first kind of conversations that we had about process where he was like these 
these get a top, right? And I'm like, nope, these are open for me. He's like, well, what about all the wild, stinky, you know, it's, it's going to get all up in my beer. I'm open like, air no. fermentation, yeah. man. It's going to be, yeah. So, awesome. so, but it's, you know, the, that distinction has become very obvious in a lot of our processes. So we've worked out, you know, theoretically, at least at this point, you know, that I'm going to have my hoses that run my stuff, my stinky stuff, and he'll have his hoses that are running his much more, you know, fastidiously cleaned process stuff. And um, so our two worlds will kind of stay separate that way. Um, but we've also just decided that because he is so clean and, and, you know, so careful about his process that he will be able to keep his fermenters closed and separate from any wild stuff I might have floating around in the distillery. But he had to come around on it. At first, he did not like seeing those open fermenters sitting over there. <laughs> I think he's still a little weirded out about it, if you truth be known. Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. Celebrate all things wine at the 18th Annual L.A. Wine Fest, running June 3rd and 4th along the waterfront in Long Beach at the Harry Bridges Memorial Park, adjacent to the Queen Mary. Come sip what you like and like what you sip with two days of unlimited wine and craft brew tastings, live music, shopping, and more. A proud supporter of the Boys and Girls Club of Los Angeles, L.A. Wine Fest is also excited to partner with the Hotel Maya, Queen Mary, Walter on Wine, Replenish Beverages, and other incredible sponsors. For tickets and info, visit LAWineFest.com. And while you're there, enter the code THEBESTSEATS for 15% off. That's T-H-E-B-E-S-T-C-E-A-T-S for 15% off. Once again, that's LAWineFest.com. There's a handful of things in life that I know that I'm good at. Running a successful podcast, for one. A website, photography, menu consulting, etc. But one of the things where I need help is my gardening. Specifically, culinary gardening. It's one thing to have a nice succulent or a pretty plant to look at, but there's nothing like growing your own food, herbs, and more. That's why I turn to my friend and friend of the Best Seeds podcast, Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager, for all things culinary gardening. She's an expert through and through who's worked with some of the best chefs and restaurants here in Orange County. Just see the work that she did up at the amazing Poppy and Seed in Anaheim, or some of the work she's doing with chefs like Zach Scherer over at the Bellow Chef's Table. She's talented, witty, incredibly smart, and a consummate professional through and through. Whether you're running a restaurant program, a craft cocktail program, or you just want to start growing some great food at home, she has everything you need and more. So to get more information, set up a consultation, or just to see some of the things that she's done in the past, check out heirloompotager.com for more information. I cannot recommend her services enough. Regardless of the fact that she's a supporter of the show, I still use her services even outside of the best seats. A consummate professional through and through, I cannot recommend Heirloom Potager enough for all things culinary gardening. Once again, that's heirloompotager.com. I mean, we're, we're very rich in Orange County to have great breweries, right? We have a lot of really great breweries. We have a handful of very good uh, distilleries. I mean, I've had the team from Blinking Owl on the show before. Wonderful, wonderful people. Been making great products for a while, but there's not that many distilleries here. There just aren't. How did you guys come to, A, kind of 
find this facility and decide on it. I mean, wait, why here? Why? I mean, I should mention for anybody listening, we haven't said it yet. This is in the middle of Aliso Viejo, right next to the Ice Palace, ironically, right next to a sheriff's department, which we're going to talk about on the bonus episode, because I think that's hilarious. But why this facility? Where? I mean, why here? Um, that's a great question. Firstly, you know, it, it goes back to the legacy. A huge part of this whole thing is is a legacy play. I put my family's last name on it. I mean, it's it's named after the family. The family crest is a is a big part of the entire logo. Um, so that being said, this was my father's building. Uh, he was a, a car dealer in Orange County for years and and had his private collection of of classic cars in this building. When I came home from West Virginia, um, which is Consequently, where I had gone back to college and then spent some time in Kentucky going to distilling school. When I finally moved back here, I spent some time working here with my father as his uh, health started to decline and we were kind of liquidating assets and stuff. Um, I was working here in the building and uh, the building itself came up as being one of the assets that was getting liquidated. And the family was moving forward with with basically selling off all the cars. And then once the cars were gone, the building was the next thing that was going to go. Um, and at that time, I was doing uh, catering and I was doing a, a pop-up. Uh, and I was doing a monthly pop-up, success, selling out every month. And I had started to do the pop-ups at um, local breweries. And I had done several at Lost Winds and started to see that the brewery thing was cool. The brewery lifestyle was cool. Um, they always were done in a commercial facility because of the zoning laws. You know, it's not uh, necessarily something um, when you're going full scale like this on production, you, you have to be um, in more of a commercial kind of uh, business park like we are here. And that's why you see so many breweries, Docent, Lost Winds, all those guys in this style kind of um, out in the middle of nowhere, deserty kind of commercial pro uh, property. So firstly, I started to realize that the brewing lifestyle was, was awesome and something that I wanted to do. And if you build it, they will come. Um, the, the brewers had already you know, paved the way for building something kind of out of the way. And I saw that people were, were going there. The destination proved to be worth the kind of the, the travel. So um, I didn't know about brewing. I didn't know how to brew. I, I've never been a hobby brewer, but I did know how to distill and have been a hobby distiller and, and had spent some time in, in uh, West Virginia and Kentucky actually honing the craft. So I decided, you know what? Um, I'm going to buy the building. Uh, instead of sell it uh, on the open market, I bought it from the family and um, said, we're going to do what, what it is that we're doing today. We're going to build a brewery. I'm going to find somebody like, like Silvio here that knows that. And can, and can run that side and, and own it and love it and build that side. I can focus on the distilling side, find somebody that can help me build the restaurant side, you know, with the culinary background myself and somebody that I, that I can trust to, to, to run a team. Um, I thought that that was something that we could build something around. And, and again, that's kind of how it all kind of coalesced to, to become what it is today. That's awesome. Uh, Mark, I want to turn to you from the kind of branding marketing standpoint. You have a lot to work with. I mean, that's that's one of kind of the best aspects of what you do is when you're in the marketing world to be able to have such a rich storyline to work with. You talk about tradition, you talk about family, you talk about heritage, both of these things, brewing and distilling naturally come with a lot of built in history. What is your day to day like and kind of building this up? Obviously, it's not up and running yet. Like we said, hopefully soon, obviously still in the process of building out some of these things. But what is your kind of professional approach to having this, you know, behemoth of a project to bring to market? 
Yeah, the, <clears throat> the thing that was most interesting to me about this project was the, the trifecta of the distillery, brewery, and restaurant. Um, having the ability, I mean, these days the, the market trends for, for spirits and beer and um, just being able to pivot quickly and having the facility to where we can basically manufacture anything, yeah. uh, you know, spirit or, or beer related, um, and then have the ultimate test model in the front of the house, uh, with the, with the restaurant. It's, it's, it's kind of, a um, it, it, it's, it's no doubt going to be a home run as far as our, our ability to see where the market's going and be able to adapt to it quickly. Cause things are happening so quickly that, I mean, even today we went, Sylvia and I went to the liquor store, just check out a couple, you know, craft brews and, you know, some, some flavor ideas or manufacturing ideas that we've talked about. It's like we talked about them three weeks ago and all of a sudden they're on the shelves. So we'll have that ability to, to adapt quickly. And, and um, I, I see that being the, the biggest advantage uh, from my standpoint, from a, a marketing uh, perspective. Um, and then having the restaurant to be the ultimate test model for what, what people are liking, what they're not liking um, and where, and they're going to kind of lead us to, to where those trends are going. So it's, it's um, kind of the perfect arena to, to, to host what we're, what we're doing. I mean, we, we mentioned the restaurant and I want to touch on that a little bit. Um, first of all, you can't miss it when you see it because you guys have a giant and I thought this was fake when I first drove up. It turns out it is a real vintage train caboose basically shoved into the side. It like, looks like Hulk installed it, but it's awesome. I mean, so it kind of explain what a customer can expect when they come here, because so many times you you go somewhere, maybe it's just a tasting room where people have to bring in a food truck. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's somewhere where eventually they were able to bring on food, but they're still kind of figuring out the kitchen details because they didn't originally plan for it. So they don't have a walk-in and stuff. You guys do have a full-fledged, you're building out a full-fledged kitchen and bakery. So I remember this time and it's going to be ready to go. What can a customer expect when they do come here, when it does get open? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the the kitchen was built to basically um, craft anything that we dream of, everything from baking our own bread to smoking our meats. Um, the, um, you know, we're, we want to keep the, the, the um, service structure and general feel of the, of the space casual and not, not fine dining. You know, we're, we're going to focus on, um, on shareables, handhelds, bowls, things like that. Um, and extremely craveable dishes. We, we, you know, Jeremy and myself and the rest of the team, we find these days when we go out to, to dine, there's just not enough craveable places that have, um, you know, food that you're like, I got to go back and get that. And we want our yeah. whole menu to be created with it everything. It kind of seems like an afterthought sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, food is like, you know, we, we even say on our website, food is not an afterthought for us. It, it's, it's integral for, you know, what we're doing here. Um, and uh, just, just having, uh, the ability to, to give people something that they can be excited about and, oh yeah, expose our, our, our beverages is, is, uh, it's going to be a, a nice play. I was going to say, I mean, it, you guys aren't just brewing and distilling just for here in house. Obviously the goal as is, it is so many times is distribution and getting it out there and growing and growing and growing and becoming that next, you know, big thing to hit the market, that next, you know, big, thing that hits the kind of the beverage news groups and you're like, so-and-so purchase great for them, you know, success for the family legacy established. Is it hard to 
I mean, again, it's it's focusing on what's the next thing. We still got to finish this before, you know, before construction. We're still waiting to get open. We want to start brewing soon. We want to start distilling soon. How do you guys kind of keep yourselves in check with a project that's so big and so ambitious and, and there's so much talent behind it and so much kind of experience behind it? How do you guys kind of stay focused on just that day-to-day of getting those doors open and then, you know, delivering that great experience to customers, you know, just one person at a time? This, you know, this project is, has taken a long time to, to, to get us to this point. And, yeah. um, you know, we ideally should have been open almost before, just before COVID and just so many hurdles to get through. We kind of see them as a blessing in disguise. I mean, we're just throttled right now with, with product and, and brand creation that I'm kind of like, few. like at least we're, we're able to kind of attack this from a, uh, you know, from a, a, a methodical standpoint rather than a rush to rush to open standpoint. So I, I think us being meticulous with how we're going about our, our initial brand launch uh, for our different brands and something we haven't talked about, we, we do intend to be a, a house of brands rather than a, a branded house. So all of our brands will be, um, created uniquely. Um, they'll all have a, you know, a tie to the, to the web's name, but, um, we also see that as a easily pivotable, uh, thing as markets, uh, change as well. So Sylvia, I want to turn to you from a brewing standpoint. Um, there is, it really does seem like kind of as great as kind of the hazies are and the West coast IPAs are, it, there is a lot of differentiation out there. I mean, you look at like what the guys up at everywhere brew co are doing and they're just doing wild, delicious one-off stuff to have this kind of time to kind of sit and ruminate, you know, before it gets open and before it's really like, okay, we got to go like get this stuff in the tanks, let's get going. What's it like for you from a brew standpoint to look out there at kind of the marketplace as it shifts a little bit and be like, Ooh, we got like, we, we got some wiggle room now. Yeah, it's it's nice to see uh, uh, breweries kind of coming back to uh, a bit of a small batch craft um, experience. Uh, you know, we see we saw so many like modern times downsizing stone, yeah. having to do some downsizing and stuff. Where the you know they kind of outgrew their their uh, their market a little bit. Um, so. Uh, so see, so being able to have that ability to do. Uh, small batch and experimental things that one-offs that, that, um, that are exciting is, 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 is great. I think we have, we do have an, um, a good, uh, direction with that and seeing the trends of the beer market. It's, uh, you know, it's changing every year and, um, you know, I, it's, it's, we, we will have the ability to do, uh, you know, all, all sorts of, experimental things as well as kind of hone in our um our core flagship um maybe more traditional uh styles uh but yeah yeah when being and also having you know the rtd market to play with um with uh, canned cocktails and things like that and we're always we're always talking seltzers um but uh but yeah the the the, um, the different styles that you know, we could really do whatever we want in in small batches and and see how we can org- organically grow into our our uh, our market here in Orange County. Well, I mean, I'm glad you brought up RTDs because that is a major emerging thing, not just here, not just 
statewide, but nationwide, worldwide. I mean, it's one of the biggest emerging kind of things there are. Um, you guys, obviously, we're talking kind of traditional beers and distilled spirits, but there is another big market out there. There is a massive thing. You guys have kind of a you know, a bottle shop, like mini kind of shop on site, which is going to be able for people to come in and get bottles and get beers and get merch and stuff like that. Have you guys looked into it all? Like the RTD market, the canned cocktail market, and already started to think about those products? 100%. Yeah, we. I feel like we would be remiss if we hadn't. Uh, yeah. Like you say, it is a giant emerging, mar- emerging market. Um, so we um, are looking at uh, ready to drink, ready to pour, um, we are, um, definitely, you know, the seltzer market, uh, pre-mixed cocktails, all of that stuff. <clears throat> you know, there is definitely, I think something to be said about what we've tried to create here is a place where we can be ultimately super creative with no hindrance because of technology or lack of, you know, being underbuilt or, or, or under-engineered. Yeah. We've purposefully over-engineered everything to give us all of that ability to be creative. So our, and we are, I like to think, um, very energetic people. Um, so the, you know, to be tireless is something that you, I think you absolutely have to have to be as ambitious as we are, as, you know, broad kind of spreading is, is what we intend to start out with. So we, but that's a strategy. We are going with this full kind of shotgun approach um, in small batch to kind of see what does land locally, what does land here on premise, and then we can dial it back um, and and hone in on the ones that we're having success with. So use the term casting a wide net to see kind of what we catch and then kind of be able to focus then on those markets to really find out what, what our true revenue streams are. It, it's one thing to bring in a product to new market, which obviously gives you new customers, but it's another thing when, again, distilleries and breweries, normally people are going to those things specifically, right? Beer nerds are going to the beer places, you know, with, you know, spirits nerds are going to the spirits places. When there's a restaurant involved, again, generally it's something that was either hopeful that it was going to be good or an afterthought. You guys are building out this beautiful space that I have no doubt is going to crush it. But generally what happens with breweries and distilleries is there's also an education component that comes into it. Hey, you know, we're making this, you can see it right here. And obviously you can see your stills and everything else in the the restaurant. You know, we're brewing this, hey, check it out, like things. How much are you guys looking forward to the education process of not just welcoming customers who are gonna be getting familiar with the brand, the family history, and what inevitably I'm sure will be the heritage of Webbs, but also this is everything we're doing in house, you know, buckle up classes in session. How much of the education process are you guys already thinking about and looking forward to? I think it's going to be a big part of our overall kind of plan here. Um, I'm super passionate about it, as we were talking about earlier. I know that my days are going to be long here because I, I plan on spending, you know, my mornings on the production floor and then evenings on the uh, restaurant floor doing exactly what you're talking about, educating people. Um, I love that part of it. I'm passionate about the process. I, ner- I love to nerd out about the process it- itself. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to to talking with people about the process and about the equipment. And that's why we, we built it the way we did and, and brought the still, you know, right up front and brought the brew house right up front yeah. so that we can walk the floor and we can point that right there. Well, that's our cooker and that's the still and that's the deflemeter column and, 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 and bring people into the process so that they can go home to their friends and impress them. Be like, oh, yeah, well, did you know that not all bourbon is, is you know, 
is made in Kentucky, for instance, there's a huge one. Every There's a lot of people out there that think bourbon has to be made in Kentucky. Yeah, the bourbon myths are, are long and deep. And so just to be able to walk the floor and dispel some of that stuff is something that I, I, I will definitely get a kick of uh, from. I know we've been <laughs> talking to Silvio a lot about you, you. You realize, you know, after you're done on the brew deck, we're going to want you to walk the floor a little bit and talk to people. And uh, I think he's coming around on the idea of, of spinning... I don't know. Slow but sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm I I like I like talking uh technical process and all that too. And well, one um, of the things that I respect so much about this, and I kinda had the assumption when I discovered you guys and, and kind of went down the the you know the social media and, and kind of like LinkedIn, whatever you want to call it, stalking of like, oh, this is that person's background and so on. But then to come here today and really see the facility and see it become reality. Again, a lot of places open up nowadays, and in the beer world, not so much, but in the spirits world, especially, you find this. People are skeptical, right? Oh, we're, we're going to launch a brand. We're going to launch these spirits. Sometimes, and this is not always the case, but sometimes they're buying their juice from somewhere else. Maybe they're running it through a still one time, something like that. They're not doing it on site. They have to ship it off to bottle, something like that. Again, not saying it's always a negative thing. Logistics are hard, and money is a very important thing to have. You guys are doing everything in-house. You're even bottling and canning in-house, how important was it for both of you guys from the distilling and brewing standpoint to be able to do that? And then, Mark, for you, how much of an upsell is that to be able to, from a branding standpoint, be like, no, 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 everything you see, it happened right there. And I'm, I'm and feel free, whoever wants to jump in and kind of answer it first. Yeah, I, I mean, was that's kind a of huge thing. Dive back into one of your, uh, one of the opening things that we talked about. It's interesting watching these two uh, collaborate from mm-hmm. a brewing and distilling standpoint. And then Jeremy's culinary background and my interest and experience in the culinary background and how much that's going to take part in some of the things we're going to do. We're going to throw some curveballs out there. We think that people haven't seen. Um, and it's funny where, you know, uh, Silvio's background, maybe a little more traditional, definitely I'm sure done some things outside the box, but Jeremy's a, a wild freaking animal. And so seeing these two collaborate and Silvio kind of tilt his head is it's a it's it's a fun one for me because that that shows that we're, we're thinking uh further outside these walls and what and finding a a consumer in a market that uh hopefully other people haven't yet yeah i mean i think we have two responsibilities here we have a responsibility to hit the markets that already exist and supply those people with what they want and then we have a responsibility to try to find the next market, the next emerging market, and nail that one and be out in front of the, the next cresting wave. Yeah. And that's really kind of what we're trying to do. You know, I realize we have to have the IPAs. We have to, again, cater to the existing market. But at the same time, we also are trying to think of those things that that are the, the curveballs as well. And rightfully so from a business perspective. But the path to get there other people could make it easier. The fact that you guys are putting in that effort to do it all, you know, within these walls you know, is I, awesome. It's a passion thing. That being said, full disclosure, we aren't afraid to go to other people for help. Yeah. For instance, I'm going to start filling barrels here probably next month. That Our bourbon won't be coming out of those barrels for, for two years minimum much like for better seven to nine. Well, it does. Yeah. I mean, Ed, rightfully so. The product does have to sit and that part does make sense. And the brown spirits are something that I, I want to have when we open our doors. Um, but because of the process, we won't. So in order to make that something that, you know, we can remedy, we went to Kentucky, we bought five barrels. Um, we tasted a bunch. We bought 
this one because it had more cinnamon, this one because we had more vanilla in it. We're going to bring those barrels here and blend them, and that'll be our first brown spirit behind the bar with full disclosure. We didn't make this. We went to Kentucky. We we we, we It's our mash bill, and mm-hmm. it's in West Virginia uh, barrels. So it's essentially the exact same thing as ours that we have purchased in order to bridge that gap of time until our barrels come out. Uh, and that, I think, is fine. Because, again, like you want to open up. You want to have your products there, or you want to have your... The product there being whiskey, obviously, it doesn't make sense to say, hey, we're going to be making this stuff and not be able to have it. Because, again, even though that is the process from a consumer standpoint, not everybody understands that the market may not get that because not everybody is you know, a nerd about this stuff. Right. Like I and not everyone wants are. to drink White Dog. Yeah. 100%. Right? I have White Dog all day for you, but I don't, <laughs> not everyone loves that. Um, so in order to have that age spirit, we, we did go, we, we purchased these barrels and we even named that product and we have cola for that one already. And it's called Purloiner. Purloiner means thief. Yeah. And the whole story is we went to Kentucky and stole quote unquote, these barrels, brought them back to California, blah, blah, blah. So, um, but for the most part, we have, we will strive to produce everything in house. Um, and, um, and I think it's a pride thing for all of us, uh, is to 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 do it and we're makers at the end of the day and to to actually make it and craft it i think that's um something that we can all be proud of yeah and i think that's fine i think that's totally commendable and completely fine i think anybody with common sense would be like yes that makes sense get the doors open get product out there that it is at least it's within your ethos and that makes sense because obviously you can't just rush bourbon to market otherwise it would be white dog and a lot of people will be sleeping in the cars. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that proof would be a little high. <laughs> so, but people have to keep talking me down too, you know. Uh, it it'll it it can be a very overwhelming thing when now we're making the the catch up and we're and we're literally making everything in house. There are times that Mark or somebody has to come to me and be like, "Yo, 100%. Jeremy, no, 100%. We're not no. doing that." It, okay. It, it, it can get completely unrealistic at some yeah. point to try so to make So that does everything. happen. It yeah. does happen. Um, I want to start to wind down this main show. Um, I'm going to keep you guys around for a bonus episode because, like I said, I have other questions that I want to ask um, and I know subscribers want to hear. But as we kind of wind this one down, we've talked about whiskey. We talked about some of the beers. But what are some I mean, vodka, that's an easy choice, right? You can get that. You can get that out and you get that get that out fairly quickly. What are some of the other things that you're hoping to do? Is there anything that you've been playing around like a skunk works that you're kind of like, oh, let's that, that, that could be fun down the line or anything like that? I mean, again, we kind of chatted about the beer side, but I mean, we don't want to close all our secrets but <laughs> no 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 you don't have to give them all away Mark, but is there I mean, anything I think you've the been easiest thinking about? way to state it is um you know some you know brewers and distillers have have thought really far outside the box with with flavored you know whiskeys and and different you know type of brews uh, we definitely are already going that direction even before we from you know getting um our packaging and and uh and our formulations in place for some of those uh type products all the ones that i think are far enough outside the box really at this point we can't disclose but totally fair but um but we definitely um intend on on shooting far above uh, you know uh, when i say far above far outside the the typical whiskey bourbon vodka gin um that area um so any more you want to elaborate on that yeah no i mean again there's the the rtd pool is deep and there's a lot of room there. And RTD, again, I, R, ready to drink, ready to pour, which I think is another, you know, burgeoning market. Yeah. Um, so I think the box is back. I think that, yeah, the box is coming back. 
The box is coming back. I don't think you're wrong there. So uh, I think there's, and I think that's fun. Yeah. Again, this whole thing is there is a certain amount of whimsy here in that we've tried to create a, a space that we can be as creative as we want here um, in all aspects. And uh, it's something that we try to focus on every day. And that, in many ways, we live outside the box. So, yeah, try to tailor to, to the people and, and, and pr- provide them with what they want. And then also try to come up with something that they don't know they want. But once we give it to them, they, they, they'll... They'll need. Totally fair. <laughs> uh, well, guys, like I said, I'm going to wrap down this main show before we do a bonus one. Um, I cannot thank you guys enough for the time. I know that it's always hesitant to sit down with any form of media before those doors are officially open. But like I said, selfishly, I wanted to learn more. I think that as soon as anybody realizes what you guys are doing here to the scale that you're doing it to with the history you're bringing into it, just from your family history and everything else, Jeremy, and then just the passion behind it. I think everybody is going to be lining up through those doors whenever they open. Um, If people do want to learn more in the meantime, if they want to stay informed, if they want to learn about the products, learn about the history, kind of really get in the know and and kind of look out for that opening date, where can people do that at? Instagram and our website are the best two places. Uh, Websgrainworks.com and Websgrainworks on on Instagram. Uh, So yeah, shoot there. Perfect. Well, guys, like I said, thank you so, so much, all three of you for the time. I really, really appreciate it. We are going to come back with a bonus episode, but in the meantime, best wishes, smooth build out and happy brewing and distilling. Thank you, brother. This is fun. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you so, so much again to the guys for taking the time to sit down. Um, Really, really means the world to me for them to kind of open the doors and pull back the veil and let me see behind the curtain of what they're building out. If you have a chance to drive by before they open in the coming months, please do so. Check out the space. Start to look them up online. Start to get acquainted with their story. Look, everybody knows I'm a major fan of spirits and who doesn't love beer. So the fact that we're getting a brand new distillery here in Orange County is awesome. A place like Aliso Viejo needs it dearly, so I am very excited for the team. Thank you again to Ali Coy, who provides the music for the show. Thank you to the advertising partners. You are a huge, huge help each and every week making this show possible, but thank you especially to those of you that do subscribe over on patreon.com forward slash the best seats. I could not do it without you. Check out the merch store. Check out the blog. Have fun out there. Tip your bartenders. Drive safe, and I'll see everybody soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Sasha Lyons, Subtle Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, Burger Master, It Ain't Easy Being Greasy, Boyga Kang. Thank you for your support.